0: So we are coming out of Easter week, and the week after Easter is actually one of my favorite weeks, because you go into Easter, and you have all of the buildup, and all of the sort of commitment that comes with Easter. We're reminded of Jesus dying on the cross. We're reminded of the resurrection, and we're excited, and then what? Well... It's the week after Easter. And what I want to talk with you about today is going to be out of the book of John. We're going to look at John 21. Have you ever come out of Easter or out of some other service where you were excited and it was just this wonderful, amazing time, and then the next day or the next week, or maybe it's a month later, you look back and you think, that was exciting, but now what? Now what do I do? I I thought I was on fire for God. But now I just feel like, well, now what? That's what this week, I think, can be for us. as a reminder that when we get to the now what? When we get to the I thought I was on fire? That's the time to put our focus on Jesus. Because he is the one who has redeemed us. And we need to be focused on him. So in the book of John... The Gospel of John is a really well laid out book. Uh, The Apostle John probably wrote this book around AD 90, between AD 90 and AD 100. So, you know, 70 years, 60 to 70 years after the resurrection. And he presents a really, really precise theological argument in his book. He really presents Jesus. The creator, sustainer, God himself, is the problem, or not the problem, is a solution to the problem of sin. Jesus, the creator, sustainer, is the solution to the problem of sin. And John lays that out very clearly. When we get to John 21, Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. And Peter and several of the disciples go fishing. Because why not, right? Jesus just rose from the dead. So what are you going to do next? Go fishing. But that's what they do. They go fishing. And on this fishing trip, it's a really successful trip. They catch absolutely nothing. It's sort of like my fishing trips. (laughs) They fish through the night and they catch nothing. And they see Jesus on the shore. And Jesus says, oh, just cast your net on the other side of the boat. And Exhausted, after a night of fishing, they decide to obey Jesus and they catch a bunch of fish. But when they get to shore, what they find is not only did Jesus trump them by telling them where to fish, these men who had fished for most of their lives, but Jesus actually already has cooked the fish on the fire. He's already got breakfast ready for them. Jesus is proving something in the beginning of John 21. Jesus is proving that he is the provider. That he's the one who provides for the needs. It's never us. It's always Jesus. The call to follow Jesus is a hard call. Because there are speed bumps. There are challenges. But it is a call that is with promise. And that promise is that Jesus provides. So then there's a a question remaining in John 21, 15 through 25. And that question is, what about Peter? You see, leading up to the resurrection, leading up to the crucifixion, Peter had been gung-ho for Jesus. He'd been on fire for Jesus. He was ready to go, and he told Jesus, I will die for you. Jesus responded to his proclamation of dedication, saying, no, actually, you're going to deny me three times, three times before the rooster crows, you will deny me. And Jesus knew what he was talking about. Peter did in fact deny Jesus three times, not just once, not just twice, but three complete denial of Jesus. And so the question that John sets out to answer in John 21, what does Jesus do with those who were once on fire? Those who have been called to follow Jesus who were excited to follow Jesus, who were on fire for following Jesus, what will Jesus do with those who since denied him, with those who fell away? And the answer to that question is complete restoration. Jesus restores broken hearted. Jesus restores sinners. Jesus restores those who have fallen. Jesus will ask Peter three questions. Three denials, three questions. But these questions aren't aimed at destruction. They're aimed at restoration. So we're going to dig into John 21. It takes place on the beach. Jesus takes Peter for a walk. Walks can be some of the most wonderful conversations. Emily and I enjoy hiking for our vacations, mostly because... After you walk for about half an hour in silence, someone breaks the silence, and then you get real conversation. Walks can be a wonderful time for real conversation, and that's what we're going to do, is we're going to listen in to the walk that Peter takes with Jesus. So we're going to start, we're going to read verses 15 through 17 in John chapter 21. And I want you to pay attention to this walk that Jesus takes. Starting in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. What I want you to see here in these short couple of verses is that the standard is complete devotion. Complete devotion is the standard. For those who follow Jesus, complete devotion to Jesus is the standard. Jesus starts with a really simple question in verse 15. Do you love me more than these? Now, remember the context. Remember what's going on. Jesus is walking with Peter along the beach after having just had a breakfast that Jesus prepared with all of the other disciples. Jesus begins by addressing Peter not as Peter but as Simon. If you were to look back all the way to John 142, John 142, Jesus changed Peter's name or added to Peter's name from Simon to Peter. Jesus goes back in time and addresses him formally as Simon. This is an acknowledgement that I know you messed up, Peter. I know you denied me. And it's okay. We can start over. We can rebuild. Starts out, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Who are these? Remember, they're on the beach. They're out on the walk. The disciples are with Peter more than other people, more than the other disciples. Peter, in your failure, the way you failed, was you chose men who asked you, do you know this Jesus guy that we're about to kill? You chose men over me in the past, Peter. Now I'm asking you simply, do you love me more than men? Peter, are you so committed to me that you can say you love me more than all of these others? Love might be one of the themes of the book of John. I would argue it is. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. One of the overarching themes in the book of John is that God loved the world enough to send Jesus to die on the cross. And now in chapter 21, the last chapter of the book, the question on Jesus' heart to share with Peter is, I've proven my love for you, Peter. Now it's time for you to ask, do you love me? John also is very careful in the words he chooses here. Bible scholars have debated exactly what's going on here. I'm going to give you my interpretation. John chooses to use alteration of two different words for the word love in Greek. Many languages have multiple words for love. Uh, Spanish has multiple words for love. Many of them do. The Greek language has actually three different words for love and two of them are used here, agape and phileo. In ancient Greek, Attic Greek, so pre pre the Bible, there was a big distinction made between agape love and phileo love. Agape love was unconditional, complete, total dedication and love. Phileo, in Attic Greek, was brotherly love come alongside someone, they're your friend, you love them, you spend time with them, you enjoy being with them. That was the idea behind phileo love. By the time we get to the New Testament, those had started to be merged um, so that they sort of overlapped. But here John uses two different words for love. Here Jesus says, Simon, agapes me. Simon, do you love me with complete And total devotion. Remember what had Peter just done. He had denied Christ. And Peter responds to Jesus. Peter responds with, You know that I phileosu. Phileosu. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Do you unconditionally love me? Completely. I can almost guarantee you that had this been a week earlier, pre-crucifixion, Peter would have said, oh, absolutely, I'll die for you. Now Peter, having become a, a little bit wiser because of a failure, says, I do love you like a brother, Jesus. Jesus responds, says, feed my lambs. If you love me, Peter, he takes his love where it's at there, Says, I've got something for you to do. You're going to need to feed others, to care for others. But Jesus doesn't drop it. He asks him again in verse 16 Simon, son of John, agapes me. Do you love me unconditionally? Jesus says, No, really. Do you love me? I know you just said that you love me like a brother, but I'm asking you a harder question. Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter responds again. Yes, Lord, you know philo su. You know I love you like a brother. Jesus says, let me ask you one more time. Do you love me? In verse 17, the third time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But here's where things get fascinating in the Greek text. Jesus does not say this time, agape me. Jesus says, phileo me. Peter, you've said twice you love me like a brother. Let me ask you, do you really love me even like a brother? Jesus' third time he meets Peter where Peter thought he was at, and he says, Do you love me even like a brother? We read in verse 17 that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? Here I think it's significant that we recognize exactly what Jesus is asking. Jesus starts by asking Peter, Do you love me with complete and total dedication? And Peter says, I can't commit to that, but I love you like a brother. Jesus asks him a second time, do you love me? Total dedication. Peter again says, I love you like a brother. And the third time Jesus says, okay, do you actually love me like a brother? And I think it strikes Peter because he realizes the thing that I think we all need to realize our love for Jesus is insufficient. We may be coming off of failures in the past. We are coming off of failures in the past because all of us have an insufficient love for Jesus. And I think this is what Peter's really starting to grasp is before the crucifixion, Peter thought he was all in for Jesus. The crucifixion taught Peter an important lesson. He had not arrived. He had so much more to grow. And here Jesus brings that out. And I think we all can relate. Because we all have so much more to grow. So my challenge step for you. Commit yourself to complete devotion to Christ. Be devoted to Christ. The excitement of Easter, the joy of Easter is wonderful, but don't let the excitement and the joy hide the fact that we need to be more committed to Christ today than we were yesterday. Because we all have room to grow here. Let's read on in verses 18 and 19. The walk continues. And in verses 18 and 19, what we read Jesus saying, Verily, verily, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. What Jesus is telling Peter would John is reminding us of is that there is a very real cost associated with complete devotion to Christ. I am calling on you to commit to being devoted to Christ and before you commit too far I want to tell you there's a cost. For Peter the cost was high. Jesus told Peter the truth about his cost. He started with the statement in the NIV, we translate this as "very truly." In in Greek, it's a word you actually know. One of the Greek words you know, "Amen." That's the word. It's actually uh, an Aramaic word, and this is an interesting aspect. Um, John writes "Amen" quite often in his gospel, which we often translate that as "truly" or "very truly." The word "Amen" was the word that you would use, like in a courtroom when somebody, like a lawyer, is got you on the stand and they're asking you things and they ask you, do you agree that this and this happened? And the response would be, amen. I give my assent that that is what happened. Yes, that's what happened. Do you agree that this and this happened? Amen. I I give my assent, that's what happened. It was a word that you would use to confirm the words of somebody else. When somebody said something that you agreed with wholeheartedly, Or you could say with complete confidence, you would respond by saying amen. There is no instance outside of the Bible where anybody uses the word amen and then speaks themselves. Amen is always used to affirm the words of somebody else, except for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is completely capable of speaking absolute, unquestionable truth. When Jesus uses the word amen, and here he uses it twice, he's literally saying, Thus saith the Lord. This is without question the truth, without doubt the truth. And what is it that Jesus says? Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. Peter, when you were younger, you were excited, you were energetic. I mean, you just literally jumped off the boat and swam to shore because I called you. That's what happens earlier in John 21. But Peter, that freedom with which you've lived in the past is going to be replaced by bondage to me. That's what Jesus is saying. Yes, you have been the wild guy that did whatever you wanted, that ran around and did everything the way you wanted. But Jesus says, I'm going to change you. So much so, Peter, that when you are old, you're going to die by crucifixion. That's what the phrase, uh, an idiom that they would use, when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. That was an idiomatic reference to crucifixion. Stretch out your hands, in the act of being crucified. Jesus tells Peter, the commitment to follow me, don't don't underestimate what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to change your very self. Your very personality, Peter, is going to be tamed by this commitment to follow me. In fact, at the end of his life, in 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15, one of the, the last things that Peter would have written about. Uh, I'm going to turn there just because I, I think it's it's a good good passage. 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15, Peter writes, so I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think that it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Peter, at the end of his life, years later, remembered Jesus had told him how he would die. Jesus said, you will die for my sake. The truth about the cost is that the cost is high you may be asked to die for the sake of Christ. You may be asked to give your all for the sake of Christ. You may be asked to change who you are for the sake of Christ. John writes, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he follows up with a command, follow me. The truth of the command is amazing. You see, John wants to make sure that we really understand what what Jesus is saying. Peter is going to die for God's glory. But that doesn't change the command. Peter, you're going to die. I mean, those are pretty significant words. But I still want you to follow me. But you follow me. Tradition holds that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not deem himself worthy to die in an identical manner to his Lord. And so at his crucifixion, he asked to be put upside down on the cross that he might follow Jesus without taking any of his glory. That's significant. That's who Peter became. The man who jumped into the lake when Jesus called him. The man who went out and said, I'll follow you, without actually meaning it. Became the man who died upside down for his glory. So I have an action set. Take a second and remind yourself that if we are to live a life devoted to Christ, we must be prepared to give all for Christ. We celebrate Easter because the resurrection is amazing. And we say these true statements, like Jesus is the resurrection. He is the one who brings life. But we need to be real as well that Jesus may ask us to give it all. And we need to be prepared to give it all for Jesus. Verses 20 through 23 are some of my favorite verses because I fail regularly, and I think that this highlights a a really good failure that we can talk about. Let's read, starting in verse 20. John writes, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. The focus of our devotion must be Jesus. must always be Jesus. We must keep Jesus as the focus of our devotion. Look at verses 20 and 21, and see the reality of distraction. But what we see here, Peter and Jesus, remember they're walking down the beach together. Peter is walking with Jesus and Jesus says, follow me. And what is Peter's response? Look in verse 20. What is the first thing Peter does after Jesus says, follow me? He turns around. (laughs) How often is that the case of us though? Jesus is walking with Peter. Jesus says, follow me. And Jesus turns around. And who does he see? None other than John. John. John apparently is tagging along on this walk. The third wheel on the walk. Peter turns, sees John. And throughout the entire book of John, there's an implicit sort of competition going on between Peter and John about who's more important. And John takes a swipe. John says, Lord, why are you walking with the one who betrayed you? Who denied you? Why are you going on the walk with Peter? Peter takes the bait and he asks him, Lord, what about John? You just told me that I'm going to die for you. What about John? What is he going to have to go through? What sort of plans do you have for this guy? And Jesus says, why are you so concerned about John? Why are you looking around Peter? If I want John to remain and live forever, why do you care? I just told you to follow me. That's what your focus needs to be. Stop worrying about what others around you are being blessed with or going to have to go with. Put your focus on me. John writes in here, in the Greek, using an emphatic pronoun, uh, a real strong emphasis. In fact, the word order is, is unique here, the way it's actually written. What John writes that Jesus said is you with emphasis placed on the you me with emphasis on Jesus follow put your focus off of John get your focus off of those around you make sure that you Peter are following me Jesus stop looking around Peter put blinders on like a racehorse follow me if you accept that the book of John was written late which I do, possibly the last book of the Bible written, John or Revelation, right around the same time. John 21 would then represent the last words of Jesus. And what is the last words of Jesus that we have on this earth? You follow me. That's the last thing recorded that Jesus had to say. We can become easily distracted. We need to focus. We can become distracted by those around us, by the blessings that they're receiving, the trials that they're enduring. We need to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, but never at the expense of losing our focus on the one that we follow. Never lose that focus. Now, you may be saying, well, I've lost my focus. Now what do I do? And the answer is, remember, Jesus restored Peter. To the one who loses their focus, to the one who even denies Christ, Jesus offers restoration. So my action step for you is place your focus on Christ. Stop measuring yourself against other Christians and instead measure yourself against Christ the perfect standard of God. So often we find ourselves saying, well, look at what that person's doing. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good Christian. No. Put your focus on Christ. Or we say, I could never live up to what that person's doing. I should just give up now. No. Put your focus on Christ. Christ tells Peter, stop looking around. Why do you care? Put your focus on Christ. So my questions I want to sort of close with. I want you to ask yourself, have you erected a facade of devotion where you say, I'm devoted to Christ, but you're not actually devoted. Throw yourself at the feet of the Savior and really dedicate to being devoted to Christ. Ask, am I prepared to give my all for my Savior? Ask, am I distracted by the world? Am I distracted by other Christians? How do I need to put the blinders on so that my focus is always on Christ? I have a memory verse for us. John twenty-one, 22. I'd like us to say it together. John 21, 22. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. John 21, 22. you must follow me. I'm going to actually invite Jason Nettleton to come up because he's going to talk with us about a, a step of following Jesus that he is taking. And uh, I, I want him to come and, and present that to us. So
1: here he is. So many of you know we've done an Easter play here for years, 29 to be exact. Um, COVID kind of put everything on the back burner. And then here recently with uh, construction of our sanctuary, um, we can't we couldn't do it this year. Um, I want everybody to know, though, like there is a lot of excitement outside um, of Southview, um, I can't tell you how many times in the last couple of weeks, with Easter being here, um, I, that I've been asked if, if and when we are doing our play again. Um, so Christ is moving in a really cool way. Um, so there's a, a huge excitement for it. Um, some, so 29 years we've done it. So we're, we're looking into our 30th year, which is really exciting that we've. That God has been so faithful to us for 29 years. Um, there's been so many different trials, and you know, people have come and gone. Um, one of the biggest things is people always ask, Dude, "Do we have enough people? Do we, you know, how are we going to make this work?" It's a huge time commitment. There are so many things that we can get into our heads, and the devil's crafty, and he likes to really push those things through. Um, the last couple of days. Um, been talking with Nathan about doing this announcement that that we are in fact pushing to do next year right 2024 30, 30th year that's huge guys um, and then we've kind of been talking pushing this and then decided you know come out in the Jesus costume because um, actually in 2019 or 2020 when we were supposed to do it I was going to play the role of Jesus and then it never happened so this is actually the first time I've ever put this on um, if you can believe it um, but Um, Satan's been kind of chipping at me a little bit the last couple of days. Um, and it's, you know, he puts doubts in your head and everything else. Um, the biggest thing is we need to be in prayer for doing this in 2024. Um, there's a lot of things that are going to change just because of the construction and the change of our sanctuary. Um, So all those things need to be figured out. But those are all things that can be figured out. We have talented people in our congregation that are able to step up and make those things happen. Um, So right now, like actively, we need to be in prayer. Um, We need to find um, a donkey that can carry an adult male. Um, There's uh, quite a few miniature donkeys out there apparently, but they're only, you know, rated to carry about 100 pounds, and that's just not going to cut it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And... It's got to be a donkey. Um, in the Bible, it says it was a donkey. Um, riding on the donkey was a way that Jesus humbled himself. Um, so that is why the donkey is such an important key in that. Um, it really, it's, it, it kind of, it's, it's a different level that is, is needed there. Um, and I'm sure that God will provide that for us. Um, but we're just actively in prayer with all this stuff. And so this is going to be, uh, Pastor Nathan's been talking about our obedience after Easter and kind of keeping the commission going and this stuff. Um, With all the excitement that's outside of this church, um, doing this is such a huge way for us to spread the word to people. We have youth groups, small town Nebraska that come. We have people that travel from out of state that come to see this every year. A lot of people outside of this church actually use this as their platform to do the commission themselves. Um, so we need to remember that, um, it's an easy way. God provides these people to come into our building and, um, it was in 2005 is when we actually started keeping track of how many people will come in. And usually, uh, over the weekend, it usually is about, uh, over a thousand people that come through this church. Um, and then we've had up to almost 2000 people come through at some point in time. Um, so that's really exciting that that many people can actually come through. Um, but there's so many ways you can serve in that. There's, um, we have a fellowship afterwards, which is huge because people come and they watch this, and they have so many questions right after they watch it. And so we need to be willing to have that hope- open conversation with people during that time afterward as well. Um, because people have questions, and that's a great time for us to kind of sp- share the gospel with them. Um, we've had nearly 200 decisions for Christ that people have actually like submitted in and told us that they actually um, did accept Christ. Um, and that's been keeping keepin track since like 2005. So that's pretty exciting. So it's a really good way for us to do the commission that, that God has given to us to do. Um, you know, that is like one of the first things that Christ told us to do after he rose from the dead. Um, So when you think of it that way, like the first thing he tells us to do, I think we should listen. Um, And this is a great way to be obedient in that way. Cool. Thank you, Jason.
0: Um, I want to say, I actually have never been at the Southview Easter pageant before. Um, So uh, when when it started coming up, I I thought to myself, I don't know about this. I I honestly thought that. And uh, then, uh, oh, about two months ago, Jason came to talk with me about how the Easter pageant and preparing for it was impacting his heart even now. And what hit me was that my job as a pastor, my job is to equip people to minister to others, to spread the gospel. And um, so I don't think I shared this with Jason, Jason is the one that pushed me to be wholehearted, dedicated to making this happen um, because I saw his heart and I thought, my job is to pastor and to equip and to provide opportunities for people to serve like that. So I'm excited for it. I'm excited for you, but I'm excited for our church to be able to serve like that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that the command that you've given us is actually really simple, simple to state, follow you. Wherever you might lead, whatever you might ask, that might involve significant sacrifice. You might call on us to die. But for most of us, I don't think you call on us to die for you. You call on us to give up our time. To give up our resources. To put that focus away from the distractions of others and entirely on you. And so I pray that as a congregation, we would be focused on you. We're looking at doing an Easter pageant in a year. Father, I pray that you would help us to make that effort all about you. That it would be about your glory, about your gospel, about your message. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.